Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, all 37 of you good, good shepherd people. Um, my name is Sean Linda. I'm here with Larry Tang. Um, and we teach um, an eight-week financial literacy program entitled Financially Clean. Um, this, this course is um, a little bit different than what we've done in the past because we just like to take into consideration what's happening in today's current world. You know, usually we go right into credit and get into all, all the facets of financial literacy. But I think it would be unfair to you if we ignored the elephant in the room, which is obviously the pandemic. So we kind of tailored this program around those things so we can kind of, so it'll be relevant. So you can kind of use the material for, you know, currently that's the point of this program. This is something where you should be able to act on what we teach in every class from today moving forward. Um, so with that being said, we'll start by just giving a brief outline of the program. So Larry, let's go to the next slide. And Larry will interject every now and then. I don't know that, um, Jeff, are you on? Are you on as well? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Wonderful. I didn't even know. It. So great. So Jeff is um, my right-hand man as well. We call him AKA Mr. 50, Mr. 850. So the question of the day is the students, why do you think we call him Mr. 850? Can anybody answer? You get a pass. You don't need to do the course anymore. You know everything about financial literacy. Who can answer? Why do we call him Mr. 850? Don't all jump in at once. So just so you know, everyone, I'm gonna, I have this participation list and I'm gonna call on you guys to answer. So I guess it's gonna start from this class. So let's start from this moment. So let's ask, um, Carolyn, why do we call Jeff, AKA Mr. 850? Not sure. Not sure. Corey, can you help her out? Corey, are you there? Guys, don't be shy. Feel free to take a stab at it. Well, Nigel, since you're on live and direct, give him a hand. You know why they call him Mr. 850? Uh, I was a part of the planning meeting ahead of time, so I think it would be cheating if I, if I said. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll give it one more try. Don't all jump in at once. Karina, why do we call Jeff Mr. 850? Feel free to speak out. I see. I see someone has some answers on the chat, but you know, if you speak out, everyone can hear. Oh, who's that? Yeah, let's speak. I mean, there'll be time for you to say some stuff in the chat, but 
it really makes the course much better if everybody starts getting involved and speaking. So, yes, I'll be calling you on. Um, last try. Michelle. Are you there, Michelle? Okay, Jeff, I'll let you answer the question. Why do we call you Mr. 850? Maybe Lillian wants to share hers out loud. Yeah, okay, Lillian, great. Lillian has a great answer. Lillian, do you, are you on the mic? Where are you, Lillian? Yeah. Okay, Hi. Lillian. Uh, maybe that's his credit score. Maybe that's his credit score. What do you think, Jeff? Is that the right answer? The right answer. You win the prize. So give, give him a little bit of rundown, Jeff, of who you are and why, why we call you 850. Yeah, I, I, um, I am Jeff Whaley, Mr. 850. Due to my credit score, I've been able to reach an 850 with Experian. Uh, there are other scores that I'm not 850 on. They have uh, a different um, criteria and a little bit of different analytics to reach their score. But with the Experian score, it's been 850 pretty much um, just adjusting slightly, maybe five, six points during the whole year. So if you saw my, my chart for the year, it would, it would look almost like straight across for the year, just dipping slightly. And just so you know, so 850 is the highest credit score that you can reach. Credit scores range from 300 to 850. We're going to get more into that. And somebody having a perfect credit score is very rare, very unusual. Um, it's, it's a huge accomplishment, and I'm so happy that Jeff is part of this program to kind of share how he's gotten there and what he's done to get there. So and that's why we call him Miss 850, well-deserved um, for him to be titled that. So with that being said, let's get a little into the program, right, and what, what the program means and what we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks. And by the way, my name is Sean Linda, like I said. A little, I'll give you a little bit of my background before we start. Um, I moved to New York a long, long time ago for you guys. Maybe some of you guys were even born there, 1996. Um, I started working on Wall Street. I worked uh, for Chase Manhattan Bank. Then I went and worked for Payne Weber and I ended up at American Express. And I was always, instead of playing the markets, I was more into real estate. So I started buying real estate. And then I started buying and selling and fixing and what we would call quote unquote flipping. I accumulated a few properties throughout. I decided after a while that, you know, it was better to hold on to these properties rather than keep selling them. I did that. Um, and from then, I didn't really want, you know, I looked at buying real estate and the money I was making from real estate as more of like the money to stay in the game. So I didn't want to use that money all to, um, to support myself. So I needed to find something else to do so that I could keep the money that I make from real estate in real estate. So, um, I think life is about what you choose to do and just figuring out how to plan and how to monetize that and create a living out of that. So I love, uh, my family is originally from the Caribbean and I love going to the Caribbean, but I couldn't be that guy to sit on the beach all day and drink pina coladas. After a, a week of that, I had become bored. So I wanted to be able to go to the Caribbean, but also like have some type of opportunity business initiative. And, you know, in my mind coming from Wall Street, I thought I'd be like, you know, business class, briefcase, but it didn't really work out that way. I was, uh, I started wholesaling um, women's, women's jeans to um, a number of stores in the Caribbean. And it started off for me, like, you know, and everything, you know, in life, if you want to get hit, something, you have to humble yourself, really just pulling a suitcase, going store to store, showing samples that I would get from, from um, wholesale places in New York and LA. And, you know, I'll get into more of that later on, where I think, you know, we're in a great opportunity living in New York, but New York to me is a big wholesale district in itself. Um, so I was able to 
you know, go from store to store, show samples, build up customers, um, clients' confidence that, you know, in my head, I would just want to be consistent with them. I wanted to be in the Caribbean every month so they could see me and know that I'm here to stay and help them grow their business. From there, I went to about 60 stores or a little bit more than that, that I was actually wholesaling with. Um, I grew the business quite significantly, but then I had a son in 2004 and I said, you know, I was, I was traveling for long periods of time. So I wanted something where I didn't have to travel as much. So I, when I would travel, you know, it's about listening, understanding and knowing when to pivot. And once again, position yourself to do what you chose to do and live the life that you need to live and, you know, monetizing. So at this point, having a child saying, I don't want to be away so long. So anymore. So by listening to people, they would, people would tell me, this is like, you know, online shopping is really not peaking yet. And people that lived outside the United States didn't have as much access or outside, like I would say more first world countries didn't have as much access to goods online as, as we did. They would see all these great things online that were unable to buy them because there was no shipping happening to like the Caribbean. So people would tell me, Sean, next time you come, I saw this online, can you buy this and bring it, buy this and bring it. And I spawned the idea of, you know, why don't I provide like a portal to allow people that live outside the United States to shop on U.S. websites. And to me, it was like, I didn't believe in first world, second world, or third world. I just believe in like creating a system where, regardless of where you live, I can provide you the same level of access and service. So that's when I created um, Nicknack Direct and I created a, a website that allows people to fill out an order form. I find the item for them. I buy the item for them on their behalf and then I ship it internationally. So that allowed me to then now spend more time in the United States and more make it a uh, a tech business versus, you know, having to travel as much. So from there, a few years passed and I really, you know, I've learned a lot of things along the way. I have, I have corporate skills that I've learned working in corporate America. And then I have entrepreneurial things I've been doing through real estate and through NickNet. And, you know, I, now I've moved on to having two sons. And I said, you know, I was always teaching me things to my kids, but I think I'm just as much as I'm a father, I'm a person of my community. And I said, you know, I think I have some things to share. You know, and I looked at different financial literacy programs and I just felt that they were doing it in a way that was like, not in a way to create wealth. You know, they were telling people in our community, like, you know, budget, save, budget, save, budget, budget, save, save, budget, save. And I just felt like to create my grandmother, who's still alive, she's 91 years old. She, nobody saved better than her, but did she become wealthy? I don't think she was wealthy. I think she saved well, but I don't think she was wealthy. And by handing around people working on Wall Street and, and learning from people and reading a lot of, you know, what it is to create wealth. It's a saving is just part of the formula. Budgeting is just part of the formula, but it's not the entire thing that you need to do. And I would say it's less than 50% of what you need to do to really create wealth and have your money working for you. So from that, I said, you know what, let me create something that I think young people, what I would have loved to have known at 24, 20, and how I would have been able to accelerate that much faster because, you know, myself and Jeff include, I'm sure we just learned through trial and error, you know, read a couple books here and there. We got incited, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, those kind of books. But, you know, throughout the process, you know, it was is more trial and error. And even now when Jeff and I have a conversation, it can never be a five minute conversation because we're always continuing to learn from each other and kind of navigate. So the plan was for me, was like, let's create something that, a program that kids can learn from and start accelerating and doing what they want to do in their chosen field, rather than us telling them what to do, like look at what you want to do career-wise and like formulating that into a wealth plan, a plan of growing wealth and, and, and creating your brand. 
So that's how we came up with clean. And so when we teach this program, it's financial literacy with a wealth-minded process. So this is not a program where you're going to become a millionaire overnight, where you're going to like a get a quick get rich plan. It's a plan of understanding, you know, hopefully you'll understand what you do well. How can I monetize that? And in this program, it's not for us to tell you what you, not for us to tell you what to do, because I believe life is short and everybody has a God-given skill or gift. And, you know, most of us realize at a later point that how to leverage or monetize it. Sometimes I don't even know, like the difference between, I say like, you know, the Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's of this world is that they just learn how to leverage and monetize their God-given skill at an earlier age than myself or yourself. Had we learned at this, at, you know, 10 and 12 years old that I have a voice that's exceptional, that 99% of the people in this world can't hit this musical note that I can hit, then I'd be able to leverage that skill. They found out at a young age how to leverage their God-given skill that most people in the world can't do. So this program is to help push you to think of what do you do different and better than everybody else and how do we monetize it? And how can we now use this money that we make from this to create wealth? you know, to, so that the next generation will be that much further than you are. And, you know, wealth is not built in a lifetime. It's built over many lifetimes. You know, if somebody has to plant that seed. Um, am I going too fast? Give me a wave of hands if I'm going too fast. Everybody's keeping up because I know I sometimes I go off on tangents. Uh, chat. I see some thumbs up. Everybody's good? Okay, so... We do pay attention to all your comments. You know, like I said, this class program is for everybody to get involved. Okay, so with that being said, you know, I was asked to teach a financial literacy class, one day class, and then like out of nowhere, I came up with this acronym um, and it's worked. And I think it encompasses everything we like to teach. So C stands for credit. So we spent about four to five weeks understanding credit how to leverage it, how to use it, what it means, what it means to pay your bills on time, what it means not to pay your bills on time, what it, what a credit score means, what a credit report means. We, we go in and out and really give you the understanding of credit and what it should do, this program in general too, it should spawn you to want to learn more. People that come back to me, that keep in touch with me, every time I meet with them or talk to them, they, they take what we learned, taught them and bring it to a whole different level. This is not to teach every and everything about financial literacy, but it's to plant the seeds so that you feel comfortable, because a lot of people are, on, you know, are uncomfortable with financial literacy, get nervous when it comes to finance. We don't know numbers. I don't like math. It's just too overwhelming. And we try to simplify this so that you feel confident that when you can open up the Wall Street Journal and you can follow the conversation, you can look and say, I want to learn more. I understand. And I want to be a nurse. And now I know that being a nurse or being a doctor, I can maybe open up my own practice or maybe I can hire other nurses to work under me and I can grow that into a business, seeing things from a different perspective. Um, L is learning to live without and to accumulate wealth and to grow yourself, your brand, you have to create certain disciplines. You know, your eyes can't be bigger than your mouth. In other words, you have to understand, you know, where am I getting the sacrifice from? Like when I was buying real estate, you know, I started off buying co-ops and condos before I had kids, you know, I, once I fixed it up and did what I needed to do, I was looking for a buyer. And if it meant that I sold the place, I was, I was homeless sometimes with, you know, over six figures in the bank because I was like, I'm going to sell this place and I'll figure out where I'm going to live after. It's just me. Sometimes I would travel. Sometimes I would just go home for a couple months, do all my business on the phone, do my business from my car. It was about, you know, really making that sacrifice. Even when I would 
buy a place before and go to sell it. I wouldn't really furnish it. I'd have like an Indian rug and a TV at most times. And I said, if you're coming over to my house, expect to be sitting on the Indian rug because in my head, I didn't want to get comfortable in the place. I wanted to know that at any given time, I could sell and move and sell and move. And the only time I slowed down is when I had children because I said it wasn't fair to me to have them like have to make those sacrifices for my life, for what I'm trying to accomplish. So, you know, that's what learning to live without is people want to get rich. People want to create wealth and do and get to the next level. And they're not willing to make that hard sacrifice. And from the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffets to the Jay-Z's, I'm sure I guarantee they have similar stories that, that I have of sleeping on an Indian rug with, not that they couldn't afford it, but they're making that sacrifice and it creates that discipline in you. Even when I brought my first vacation property in Barbados, I slept on the floor because like I said, it just created a, a mindset for me to know that, okay, here's a sacrifice that I'm making. Um, education, this is really understanding. I'm sure you've all been taught you know, go to school, graduate, go to school, earn a degree, which is what you should be doing. But we try to really make you understand like the business behind having your education, how much it brings up your value, how much it makes you, you know, from Barack Obama to our current president, Joe Biden, to, you know, your mother, your dad, to Rachel, to Nigel, we all have one common denominator. We all have 24 hours in a day. And it's really how can you max out that time to get the maximum return. And I think an education for the most part helps you, you get there because if you, for example, if you graduate with just, if you don't graduate in high school, what is your worth in the market? You're probably worth minimum wage. You may not wanna think so, but in the reality of things, you're worth minimum wage. There are some, what I call outliers, people you'll be like, well, I know this hip hop artist, he's a millionaire and he didn't go to high school. Or I know this guy, his dad brought him in on his business and now he's rich and he didn't graduate. Those are what we call outliers. But in general, you'll be worth minimum wage. You know, so you decide to go to college, you finish with your bachelor's, you probably go from minimum wage to where you're worth like maybe $30, $40 an hour. That's what the market is going to be paying you based on, like I said, typically average. And then once you go to graduate school, your, your worth goes up. And what I'm saying so that you could work $40 a week which is a normal week and at, you know, minimum wage, 40 times 15, whatever for that $600, I think if I did it right, um, did I do it right? No, $1,000, did I do it right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 15 times 40, what that number equals? $600, I was right, right. So $600, $600 versus going to graduate school or being a lawyer and what my lawyer would charge me, which is $525 an hour times 40, which is $21,000 in a week. And I can tell you, the guy working at McDonald's 40 hours a week and my lawyer working in his office, as far as effort and work, it's the same level of effort. My lawyer may be more, uh, you know, less physical and more mental, while the guy at McDonald's is more physical, but they're coming home tired in the same manner. So we try to really let you understand that, you know, even if you are frustrated with school, it brings up your worth and it makes you have a stronger, like, worth per hour. And even like, my lawyer, he can say, you know what? I'm only gonna work three days a week. In one hour, in two hours, less than two hours, what a lawyer makes is somebody's salary in their entire week. So when you really look at education from that trend, uh, standpoint, it really makes sense to continue your education so you can max out your worth. Um, next we talk about is attention to detail. And that really makes you focus on, and I see it with like 
a lot of young people and older people myself, like I'm doing some kitchen work on my house and I hired this architect while I was looking for architects. And if you know architects, their job is about detail. Everything has to be precise, they're taking measurements. And this particular architect came back with the highest proposal out of the umpteen architects I was looking at. He had platinum plans, gold plans, all these different types of plans. And there were typos in his proposal. And, you know, I was doing a kitchen renovation. He was like conversion from four family to three family. He can tell he was just cutting and pasting this proposal that he was sending to me. And if you're looking to, if you're looking to charge more than everybody else and you're doing a work of precision, how can you expect to have typos? And he tried to talk his way out of it. Oh, they were just oversights. He used all the big words, oversights. Um, um, I'll resend. And at that point, it was, I was already checking out. And I think even when it comes to my kids and, you know, and young people is, you know, paying attention to detail is very important. You know, you don't write how you speak. A lot of now, I know a lot of kids because social media is big or we're messaging each other back and forth. I'll get resumes and I'll get people sending me professional messages and words and grammar of how they're speaking. Um, so we talk about those things, even about, you know, your, how people, you know, how you present yourself in social media and how it reflections on, on you. Um, and then the last part of it is no shame in your game. And this gets back to what I was saying earlier, where it's really about what we're trying to do is, you know, I think adults, including myself, we're, we tend to be dream killers. And we, can, we don't have the foresight. One thing about you, young people is that you have better foresight than we do. You can more see the future. You know more that's trending. Like, you, like I just realized now, like, I hope, you know, it is uh, not to offend any active Facebook users, but I know my kids, they don't even look at Facebook. I like Facebook. I realized my son told me Facebook is like Boomerville. Am I right or wrong? And I was like, I still thought it was the end thing, but you know, the next generation is not even looking at Facebook. See, right. See, it's Boomerville. And nobody young is reading with Facebook. And even now Instagram is heading in, you know, some kind of millennialville now too, because now everybody's TikToking. So um, once again, my old school, but didn't see that, hey, Facebook is kind of trending out and these other platforms are trending in. So with that being said, it's for you young people to know you have the foresight. I remember when I was young, you know, my parents would always tell me what I can do, what I shouldn't do, and try to see the future and see what jobs are best for me. But I don't think it's fair for us to do that because you guys have a better understanding of what's trending, what's moving forward. So this program is just to really reinforce like, um, do what you choose to do, but have a plan, build around the plan and understand what you like may not be your skill set. And there has to be a balance. <laughs> you know, you know, I would have loved to be an NBA basketball player if I had to do it all over again. Yeah, put me in the NBA and I'll give up everything. But unfortunately, I didn't have the skill set. I didn't have the needs for it. So I had to really kind of understand that that may not take me to the promised land. So let me figure out what I'm good at. And I've always been good with numbers and I've always been good at making quick decisions when it comes to business and seeing trends and being able to pivot, you know? So that's what I was leveraging, not the fact that, you know, I can't shoot 90% of the free throw line. So um, it's about understanding those things and understanding how to grow your brand because you are a brand. You are a brand. What you do, what you say, how you write, how you talk, how you keep your friendships, that's all part of your brand and how you're perceived and how do I leverage that? So that's kind of the program in a nutshell. So we're going to go through all five of them in uh, all five of those key points in the next eight weeks. 
Um, so our webinar goals is to, you know, when we say adjusting to the new normal, it's understanding the elephant in the room that's happening right now, understanding the pandemic with everything happening, things are moving so fast, things are changing so fast. You know, six months ago, no, um, December, they had, you know, we were like, we finally have this vaccine. And now, yes, and it was a two dose vaccine and you wanna get everybody in the United States and for the world that matter vaccinated. Now Johnson & Johnson has a one dose vaccine and that's changing. And now, so things are happening so quickly, it's important to understand your environment. Like, you know, I always say you can't, you shouldn't be making, you know, uh, you shouldn't be making Atari video games. You probably don't know what that means. And, you know, in, in the world, in a cloud environment, you know, you have to understand what's happening and you have to understand how to pivot and keep it moving forward. There, somebody remembers Atari. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> um, and another important thing, and you remember this throughout the program, just remember this throughout life. You know, your greatest asset is time. And, you know, you can leverage time in so many different ways, but it goes so quickly. You know, the people I mentioned, like the Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gates, the Jay-Z, the Beyonce, they would give up all of their millions and billions to get what you have, to have time, because you can just leverage time and do so much with it. So I always encourage young people to really understand time and how to make use of your time, you know? And then lastly, like I've said throughout, is, you know, really instilling that wealth mindset. And the wealth mindset I'm teaching you is how, you know, the rich and how the wealth think. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that they don't really promote it as much as I think they should, but you know, when you really look at people that have wealth, they all have these similar patterns, similar mindset, similar growth pattern. This is why you may, you, may, you may start to understand why they continue to try to strive and do things. But you could say like, why are they stopping? Because they just want to establish more. They want to grow more. They want to work more and create more wealth for themselves and for the next generation. Um, does anybody have any questions so far? No questions? Okay. So we thought we would um, bring you back 20 years to understand, because I know when I moved to New York, everybody's okay. Arisha, Ariel, Ariel Castro, everybody's all right. Everybody's understanding. Um, wonderful. Thank you. We thought, you know, I know when I was working and I came here in 96 and there was a Y2K where everybody was worried about um, what's going to happen when 2000 comes because all these computers aren't ready for 000 and nobody had thought about that and, you know, and everybody's paranoid and it was like, you know, being young, you think like when you hear these crises, like, oh my God, the world is going to end. And, you know, we thought we would put things in perspective and go through like, crisis over the last 20 years and how you know the markets have adjusted just like they will for the pandemic as horrible as the pandemic was and something we all you know regardless of our age have never experienced you know half a million americans dying in in a year that's that's more than i think if I, my math is correct you know all the first world war one and world war two combined of amount of death loss so it's horrific and you're living in it. You may not understand it, but it is very horrific that so many people have lost their lives to this pandemic, but there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and everything is for time. 
and what you have to do when you're thinking about finances. And I'm not thinking about the, simple, the part of loss of life and all that. I'm just thinking from a growth, a wealth perspective. And these times you have to focus on continuing to grow. You know, what the news and what the media has you doing, it gets you caught up and everything that's happening, and it makes you feel like, it's almost like when I went to college in my freshman year of college, you know, I kind of coasted through high school, and then when I got to college, it was, it was tough, and, but everybody around you is telling you it's tough, so you think everybody's, you're having a hard time, everybody else is having a hard time, some way the professor is going to understand that, that for some reason this year, they made the program too difficult, and we're going to adjust the grades, and things are going to work out better, because everybody's struggling. You know, I was sadly, I was sadly, you know, awakened by the fact that, no, 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 people were saying they were struggling, but they were still doing well. And I was, yeah, trust the curve. Exactly. Everybody was like, oh, the curve, that's the big word. He's going to curve it. He's going to curve it. And, you know, for me, I was at the bottom of the curve because I realized everybody else did well and I didn't do so well. And I was like, what? I felt I was bamboozled. I was like, you know, everybody else says they're doing bad, but they wouldn't, they weren't. And they were focused and they were still growing because, that's just the mindset. I was like comparing that to today, you know, the news is telling you, you know, all the horrific stories about the pandemic, but under the scene, people are still growing their business. People are making a ton of money during these times. People are adjusting and finding ways in which to profit and show and gain. And, and the ones that are just sitting on the sideline and just waiting for this pandemic to pass and, and, and things to go back to what they quote, quote unquote, some type of normalcy are the ones that are missing out the opportunities. And the ones we've, I've been around long to see that they're going to be like, oh, my God, I wish I knew what I knew now. I wish I knew that, you know, I could have been doing this. I could have been educating myself on this. I know someone just said times are hard now. Yes, but you can understand what's trending, where the job market is going now, where things are shifting to. You know, even now, like simple things like I'm more like investing in, you know, less fossil fuels and more like solar energy because you know one thing that's happened through this pandemic is people have, have to find ways and to be more economical and it's really had a sharp rise in the usage of solar and less fossil fuels and showing that it's cheaper to go this road so hey maybe looking for work in fields and maybe in, in studying in those in those type of um industries may make you have more worth may see that you're trending and you're understanding where the world is going the direction that the world is going in so Back to what's happened over the last 20 years, let's start with 9-11. Um, I was actually working at American Express when the first plane hit and where I worked in the World Financial Center, not the World Trade Center, but the buildings were connected. So I was actually coming off the train and I was actually in the, in the building when the first plane hit. And, you know, it was, it was crazy. Um, and it was tough. And everybody was shaking, of course. You know, the markets were, they're not, they didn't know what was going to happen. People were scared that there was going to be more attacks and so forth. But um, the Federal Reserve, from a business point, they lowered interest rates to adjust to the uncertainty, um, to make sure that people kept spending, to make sure that the economy was stable. And, um, and the economy turned itself around. And, you know, when there's more spending um, to support, the, they spent almost $6 trillion on the war on terror that money goes right into the economy, just like these stimulus checks. And it gets contracts, it gets, it gets people to work, it gets people to build, create, provide services. And that is called like a stimulus where it keeps the economy moving forward. So when you look at what happened after 9-11, and this is September um, 11th, by the end of that year, our US gross domestic product increased. That means we were, the economy was like, 
pushing forward. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Moving forward, we're putting out more products, more service for the world. So even something so horrific, we recovered very quickly. I mean, the news was saying this, we were still all in mourning, like I said, even now with this pandemic, but from a financial finance perspective, America kept moving forward. And that's the great thing about this country. It's It's a very resilient country. And I've lived in Canada, I've lived in Barbados, so I can tell you that Canada, America is very resilient and it knows how to adapt, keep moving forward. And you have to have that same mindset as well. Yes, you know, I always say, you know, whatever I'm going through in life, whenever I have a bad day, I give myself, you know, 24 hours to mourn, to be sad, to whatever, lock myself in a room, not want to speak to anybody, whatever. But then after that 24 hours, it's time to pick myself up and keep moving forward. And, you know, that's kind of what America does. It keeps moving forward. And, you know, our economy keeps pushing ahead. And you kind of have to understand, like, whatever is going on, your personal life, life, you have to understand, like, time, like I said earlier, keeps moving forward, and you have to keep moving forward. All right? So you say, you may say, well, 9-11, we recovered. Let's, the next big crisis happened in 2008, a global financial crisis, which has happened to do with overflated real estate. You know, I was caught in that bubble, too. I had some properties, and they were overinflated, and I had to pivot and adjust. And this was because, you know, excessive risk-taking by banks. Banks were giving every and everybody um, mortgages back then, believe it or not. You know, you just had, you could, what they had was called stated income, meaning that you could just tell them how much money you make, have a great credit score, and you can get a mortgage. Um, that was a lot of exposure for the banks, a lot of risk. And what happened was they would give like, um, I'm trying to remember the exact term, but they would give these type of mortgages where, Jeff, you can help me out, what was the word, where you would have a balloon payment at the end of five, seven years, and your rate would kind of fly up. Adjustable so, rate, John. Adjustable rate, Lord. Thank you, Larry. So people that didn't understand this would get into these mortgages and get these super low rates, super low payment, and then there's an adjustable rate that would be, and the rate would be, you know, four or five times what you're paying now. And they all kind of how it worked out. And one guy caught on to that all these rates are going to be adjusted around the same time, which was 
quote unquote, 2008. And once all those rates adjusted and people realized I can't make these payments, it was a snowball effect. Nobody could make these payments. So there's defaults on mortgage payments and mortgages, just to make a long story short, they're sold in the open market, they're sold on Wall Street and they're packaged in different packages that are sold on the street. And if you're not making those payments, it defaults on those and it's just a snowballing effect of um, debt that's not payable. And that's what kind of dropped the economy, right? Larry, did I give it in layman's terms? Am I missing anything? I think that's I think that's a fair description. And uh, thank you. Mike Mike asked on chat, isn't that like the Great Depression? Similar, but not quite, right? Like it wasn't caused by real estate, but yes, it was a stock market crash that started the whole thing because the stock market is is forward looking. So when people invest in the stock market, they invest with an idea of what they think the future is going to be like. And if they think, you know, after 9-11, after 2008, if they think that the picture doesn't look that good, when people panic, then people stop investing. When people stop investing, well, the economy stops moving, right? And so because everything's so interconnected, um, a lot of stuff can come down at the same time, right? As, as Sean said, when all the mortgages are correlated, if, if a bunch of them start failing, the banks stop lending, right? And so that's the big scare. So I think it's uh, the government, the reason why the government puts so much money in, you know, I know some people might think that, oh, this company shouldn't get a bailout. It's their fault. They should go bankrupt. But the idea is that everything is so tied together. And Nigel, you mentioned it, like everything is so tied together that like it or not, there, it is too big to fail because if you let, you know, if you let a big bank fail or like a agency fail, then it could affect people's confidence. And then, you know, it can, it can touch you in more ways than one. Correct. And just, you know, like the unemployment rate reached as high as 10%, which is, I think it's higher than what it was in, during this pandemic, Larry, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't think the unemployment rate well, got as high as 10% since the pandemic. It didn't. I think during the current pandemic, it spiked, but like it's stabilized in the mid single digits now, the mid high single digits. Is sort of exactly. Right. So think how crazy that was, if how high unemployment got. It was higher than what it is today. Um, and guess what? We recovered. <laughs> Four years it took us to recover, but we recovered. And the economy went booming all over again. Everything went back to normal. The strength of the economy moved forward and we were all agreeing. We recovered. And guess what? People like Warren Buffett that were places like Detroit were abandoned and downtown Detroit was abandoned. People just left and walked out of things. People were just walking out of homes, just leaving them unpaid. They can't afford their mortgage. They're just taking their stuff and they're just leaving. Um, there's people that were able to buy these properties on pennies on the dollar. And now if you go to Detroit, downtown Detroit, it's like techie land because people saw an opportunity and people took advantage of what was happening in the market. So like I said, once again, there's always people looking at opportunities and I always say in a down market, you know, to me, it's a sale. A sale is happening. I don't know how long the sale is going to be. I don't know how long the last for, but let me find a way in which I can take advantage of this sale. All right. So once again, two big times and two recoveries. America went back to, you know, the America that it is thriving. Um, let's go to the next slide. You've got okay. another question in the chat too. There's a question in the chat. Yeah, it's, it's, I, can, I can take this one. So Mike asked, does credit affect loans from the bank? Um, in a nutshell, yes, but we'll get into that in the later classes, right? The banks will use your credit as a proxy of how risky you are to lend. So let's talk about today, what's happening, all right? Just to give you a quick overview, 
of where we are from like just a financial perspective, business perspective with the pandemic happening, okay? So market experienced extreme volatility with the Dow dropping below 19,000, but rising back to record highs within a month despite physical and economic devastation caused by COVID-19. That's huge. I mean, you know, kudos to the government of being able to, you know, and, and, and people that's just American confidence, people even still like what's going on in the pandemic, you know, people are still trusting the American economy to invest in. So even though we have all these, you know, high rates of um, high death rate, people are still um, investing their money in the United States, in the United States market. People still have confidence and faith in it. So uh, despite the, the Dow dropping, we've, we've hit record highs. And you Sean, know? Sean, if I yeah. can interject. So for people who don't know what the Dow is, it's an index that measures, it's like, um, it takes a bucket of a basket of different stocks and then it averages them out into a numbers to give people an idea of how like an overall slice of the economy is doing. And the Dow dropped below 19,000 from 28,000 before the pandemic. So that's a big drop. But today it's past 31,000. So to give you context, right, of the bounce back. Exactly. Um, in March 2020, the Federal Reserve said it would inject um, $1 trillion into the financial system and cut rates to 0%. And so when they inject, these are all the stimulus programs, the care programs, giving money to businesses. Some may have their uh, disagreement with how much some companies got versus how much other people didn't get. And I, am, I, I agree with that 100%. I think a lot of communities of color, a lot of small business people like myself, I don't think it was a fair playing field. That's just my personal perspective. But let's just talk about the overall premise. The overall premise was to inject money into the economy because when money is injected in the economy, people spend. You know, they don't, and once people spend, it's stimulating the economy. So um, doing that, um, I think, helped kept, keep us where we are today, helped keep the economy moving and booming. And there was still the uncertainty of where are we going with this pandemic? What's happening with COVID? When are we going to get out there? What's the new norm going to be? And I say that word strongly, the new norm, because you have to have the mindset and understand how forward thinkers know that we're never going to go back to exactly how things were before COVID. There's going to be a modification. There's going to be an adjustment. So you can't sit and wait and say, I'm going to look for work or I'm going to start investing or I'm going to do this once things go back to how they used to be. There is no used to be. It's the time keeps moving forward. How are you going to adjust? What are you going to see? Jobs have switched. Like, you know, money has just switched to different arenas. Like, for example, people may have been a lot of before COVID, people may have been eating in, dining in, or going to restaurants, sorry, a lot more, spending money out there in that manner. Now people are cooking from home, myself included, buying more groceries, going to the grocery store. So the money shift from restaurants to grocery stores. You don't see grocery stores complaining or suffering. You know, people may, you know, look at Zoom, what we're on right now. If this wasn't Zoom, you know, I've taught this class with Good Shepherds now for maybe three or four years. And before COVID, we were teaching in the classroom. We were teaching downtown Brooklyn and Park Slope, and it was great. But now the new norm is that we do things on Zoom. So think how much Zoom stock has, I don't even know how much it's risen, but it's risen a great amount because this is a new way of doing business. The first time we did this course, Larry and I, well, Larry and I spoke in March, I'm like, okay, you know, are we going to fold up clean? That was never a thought. Are we going to stop doing what we're doing? You know, Jeff and I spoke about it. Larry and I spoke about it. No, we thought, what's the pivot? What's the move? How do we keep pushing what we're doing? 
how do we keep teaching this program? And we, we went to a Zoom format. We had workbooks that we would give everybody initially. We don't do workbooks anymore. We, we follow through it throughout the class, but we're more interactive, more Zoom. And like, we wanted to bring that same type of vibe as we do in the classroom by getting people to participate. And it's worked. And, you know, we, I can say, tell you this. Yeah, I love being in front of, you know, students and so forth because it's just a, it's a very, you know, you feel more connected. But I've been able to connect very well. We've been able to get our message across very strong. And we've actually had, we've been able to reach more people in this format than what we were doing um, prior to COVID. So, and it's a, about, and our, and our program is, is, is continuing to move forward. Um, so what happened big was December, 2020, we finally got the first vaccine that was approved that we could administer. That's huge because it starts to create, okay, an end of a cycle, a moving forward. You know, we are in a pandemic, but now we found a way out of this pandemic. So you're trying to start as a business person, you're looking at the timelines, you're looking at what's going to be happening. And I always say, you know, we're, we may be moving from pandemic to panic because panic may be now people are getting comfortable with these low interest rates, these, these um, soft payback terms, soft arrangements you can have with your bank. And once the economy gets confidence and once we have this pandemic under control, that's when you're going to see interest rates start to rise. That's when you see the banks going to tighten up their policies a little bit more. And that's you will be making sure that you're ready for the adjustment that's happening. So you should be timelining it out. Like, when do we think, you know, the effects of these vaccines are going to happen? And I always say when the vaccines first came out, it was me, quote unquote, like everybody's trying to get in from Pfizer to Johnson & Johnson to McDermott. They're all trying to get part of this you know, a whole vaccination thing. And the government has welcomed them in when, you know, like back, simple economics, you have a high demand for the vaccine and you have this low supply of how many can be produced at one time. So everybody's getting an opportunity to participate in this if you have access, if you can create this vaccine. If you could create this formula, you could probably sell, 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 sell the vaccine to the government as well. The government is even giving these companies money to, and giving them money beforehand to kind of come up with it, to kind of come up with, you know, how to make it. So it was a really win for all of them. But now you see as, you know, these companies are involved, as everybody's kind of come up with the, the one, two dosage, now they're getting they're refining a little bit more. They have the one dosage thing. And it's all about timelines now. If you're looking from a business perspective, what you're hearing on the news and what you're seeing is like, how many can we produce a day? How many people can get vaccinated? Because it's about hard timelines to slow this pandemic down and get the economy drumming again. Um, I, I can't tell, tell you the trust or not trust the vaccine. That's a decision you have to make on your own. But like I said, we're more talking about the finance, the business perspective of what's happening and where things are going. So you can have that business mindset of seeing things from that perspective. And you know what the government did during these times, once again, it created, you know, it didn't want to see having people not being able to afford to pay their rent, having people not being able to feed themselves, clothe themselves, and those would create chaos. So they, they adjusted unemployment benefits. They gave you stimulus payments because through this, the economy faltering would only hurt. So from a business perspective, it made sense. And it worked, I think. I think, you know, kudos to the government for giving out these stimulus packages and unemployment. I don't think it was fair across the board, but for the most part, from a, from a macro perspective, it kept everything moving forward. Um, so when you look in what experts are saying, they're saying, and you know, we could be wrong, we could be right, but you gotta just follow the timeline. They're saying, you know, they expect that everybody by July of this year 
there'll be enough um, there'll be enough vac vaccines for everybody to be able to get a, a vaccine. And they're saying herd immunity. If everybody's heard of that term, um, what herd immunity means in a nutshell is that after so many people have contacted contracted um, the virus and after so many people have had vaccines, there's hardly any room left for the vaccine to continue to grow and to continue to spread. So what they call herd immunity starts kicking in and the vaccine begins, begins to decline and eventually fades away because it can't go anywhere anymore. So they're saying that time, what they're predicting as of today, that herd immunity will start to take into effect around December or January. And that's why I say they're going from pandemic to panic because then people are saying if that's what's going to happen, then the governments are going to start adjusting, stop, stop giving out as much money, start raising interest rates and people will then start to panic. So you have to understand like, hey, where am I? How am I going to position myself when the pandemic starts to decline? And, you know, right now the moving target you should have in your mind is like December, January, unless something drastic happens. Um, any questions so far? Okay, yeah. let's go. Go ahead, Larry. I was just about to ask, um, are there any sources that you think that our students should keep in mind in regards to like where they can get information on some of these topics? Yeah, I, you know, I'm a guy, a huge fan of keeping up with current events. So, um, and I try to get them from all different perspectives. So I just get, and you know, I think decisions, should, you should be intelligent enough to hear the different perspectives and then formulate your own opinion, you know? So, you know, I do, I drive, so I like to listen. I like to listen to a lot of podcasts, so I'm always listening to the Daily NPR, NPR first. There's a, the, um, Harvard has a great, has some great podcasts as well, Wall Street Journal. And I know you guys may be like, oh, that sounds so boring. But once you start getting into it and understanding, like, when I listen to these things, I'm listening to how it can affect me. How you was like, how do you come up with these ideas? You know, you know, the best way to get business ideas is to read the paper, read the, like, <laughs> current events. That's when you find out what's trending. That's when you find out what the need is. You know, it's life is just supply and demand. What are people demanding and how can I fill that void? What are people demanding and how can I fill that void? And the only way you're gonna know that is by looking at current events and see what's trending or in the direction that people are going in, you know? And once you understand that, you'll understand how can I fill this void? How can I fill this need? Sorry, somebody else had a question? No, that's Sean, it was just me. I was gonna add something. I was gonna Go say, I was gonna say, so I'm a little younger than Sean and maybe like a lot of you guys, like just for context, I hate reading. So this is how I managed to keep up with the news despite not liking reading. I think if, if it's something that you, you know, you don't love keeping track of the news, you're not someone who, you know, just tunes into the news every day and just puts it on the background, then maybe a good way to get around it is to, you know, try to be efficient, right? And Sean mentioned the podcast. Podcasts are a really good way to be efficient because you don't have to actually be reading it. You can be listening to it, right? So you could be folding your clothes. You could be getting ready in the morning, brushing your teeth while you're listening to it. And I do that while I have it in the background. And like, maybe I zone out a lot of the stuff, right? But I'm paying enough attention so that if something comes up, if like a headline, you know how they say all the headlines in the beginning? If there's a specific headline that is gonna be relevant for me or my industry or what I'm doing or just personally, then I either skip to it or I wait for that section to pay attention, right? But otherwise I'm just, it's just background noise to me. A lot of times you can, uh, a lot of the, the newspapers nowadays, they know that we have short attention spans. So they have subscriptions that you can sign up for, like a newsletter, like a daily newsletter or a weekly newsletter or whatever. And then you'll see in your email, the headlines, right? Right when you either you click in the email or right in the subject, 
they'll tell you like the biggest, like the top five or 10 stories. And so you can pick out exactly what you want. You don't have to read the whole thing, right? So I think it's a, for people who don't like to read, I just say you can just be efficient about it. It's important, I know, but you can be efficient about it. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I got into audiobooks and into, into podcasts and I was always feeling guilty. Like, am I missing something by listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts versus reading? And studies show that it's the same. They're on par. So if you're somebody that would rather, and you know, another great way to read to, which I get my kids to do, is watch movies and subtitles. <laughs> you know, then you realize you've read chapters and you, you don't even realize it. Um, and another great podcast to read, to listen to is our podcast, which is Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We have over 200 episodes. We're highly ranked. Um, it's everything, everything on financial literacy, everything we've talked about now, um, current, past, whatever you need to know, it's all there in our podcast. So you can always take a look through our, our, our library of, of episodes and, and catch up. Um, so this last part we wanted to talk about um, is called, tell us how you feel. And this is a new slide for us. Is really, Larry and I talked about it this week. We, were, we said, you know, Larry's still under 30, but he may be a little dated. I'm definitely dated. And we don't really, I don't want to assume how you guys are feeling about what's happening right now. How you, you know, what you're nervous about, what you think your, your biggest financial concerns are. How do you feel about the current economic environment as it relates to your career, as it relates to just your overall well-being, and what's anything helpful that we can kind of understand so that we can even adjust the program moving forward to uh, address your needs and not assume that, hey, we should be talking about X, Y, and Z when you guys are like, we don't really care about that right now. This is what we need to, for you to assist us with. So we're going to open the floor. Um, if you want to take, maybe we'll give you like 90 seconds to kind of think about this. And then um, I would love for you guys to just kind of come on and, and give us some insight of the, how you're feeling. And so that we can, you know, if we need to make any adjustments, we can make them um, moving forward. John, can I add something before we go there? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I just want to add to those who don't mind reading, um, but um, find themselves without the funds to get the books they see in Barnes & Noble. There is a way to get around it, which, you know, hey, I like to be the king of getting around things, so it's free, because free is my uh, favorite word. So um, you can use what's called openlibrary.org, and I found it like a treasure chest of, of books on whatever subject you want to know about. Mine happens to be finance in all sorts of capacities. So whatever age you're at, there's a source that can help you move forward. And if you don't want to read it, you can put it on, um, you know, where it reads it to you through your computer. And this doesn't cost you anything. So, you know, um, you know, it's just an avenue for you to go to if you run across information of an author and you want to know, well, maybe it's in this library and I can just read this book and gain the knowledge and information. All right, so that's it. Okay, so we'll give you guys 90 seconds to kind of come up with it, and then we're going to ask you to kind of help us out and um, give us some of your ideas and just suggestions. Yeah, Sean, I think maybe we'll, we'll pick two or three uh, people, but if we don't pick you, please definitely um, go in the chat and tell us because we want, we want this feedback. 
there is a comment in the chat from um, Karina. She said that these days I've had a fear of binge buying. Um, how do we manage impulse buying? So that's the topic that I think this. It's about learning to live without wants versus needs. We'll, we'll definitely be covering that, Nigel. And thank you for asking the question. It's all part Karina, of the program. Thank you, Karina. But we will, we will, yeah, mm -hmm. that will be. I think that comes after, right after credit. But it's a, it's a great class. Anybody else? Feel free to just unmute if you want to speak up and, and, and just shout out or use the chat. Yeah. Is anybody interested in learning about student credit card, credit card accounts? As in like early, early on in your college careers or, or postgraduate careers and post-secondary careers? Yeah, yes, learning more about credit cards is in the chat. Credit cards, yeah, credit cards we definitely talk about. Um, also, in the learn, well, no, we, we talk about it in the credit in the credit section, the later parts of the credit section. Um, about applying for a credit card, you know, the different types of credit cards, how to use, Sean loves this, but how to use credit cards to your benefit, right, the maximize rewards. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people say, if we have no credit, because, you know, you're just starting, how to build yourself up to a spot where you can get those credit cards. So yeah, for sure. All right, does anybody wanna share their information? Biggest concerns, how do you feel about, we have about, what, about 15 minutes left yet, Larry? Uh, Rachel, what's what's our time look like? No, we were actually scheduled to go to 3.30. Yeah. Um, so, so we're maybe. right at time. Can I add something real quick? I'm, I'm in the process right now as a, as a landlord. Um, actually, I just finished looking at um, about maybe six or seven applications. And I've chosen two individuals for apartments. And one of the biggest parts that I look at is, does anybody know? Does anybody know what's the biggest part I look at? Good looks. Sometimes, but no, that don't pass. That don't score. The credit score, right. Credit score, exactly. Credit score. You know, because a person can have a, a nice income and after you do your due diligence, and we're going to get into this more, but I just wanted to throw that out there that um, many of you are either in your first apartment, maybe your second, um, or looking to get into one of the uh, connect apartments and you want to know what gives you the best chance when they call you to get that apartment because they don't waste time. If you don't qualify, they pass you by very fast because there's a long list waiting. You want to be ready, at least credit-wise. So, you know, these are the things that, you know, I find so many young people come and I look at their credit score. And before I even look at it, I pretty much give them my criteria. If you don't meet this, you can't, you can't get in. And, you know, that's just what, what I do. So um, out of the six applications that I saw, I, saw, I found actually three that met the criteria and it was just about looking at their job experience and their um, 
they're pretty much what kind of debt they carried with the score and how they handled it. And that comes right. at their credit report. So I think we'll, um, we'll, close on the, we'll close on the next slide. I'll give you yeah. guys time if you want to think about the questions that we have. And if you come up with anything, you can always share with us in the next class. Unless somebody, I'll give somebody, a, if somebody wants to say anything, I'll give you an opportunity to say it now. If not, we'll close on the next slide. And Sean and Rachel, Sean and Rachel might be a good time. Uh, you could even turn this into homework. You know, if everyone wants to think about those questions, I know Zoom, we can do some polls next week, just in the beginning to see how people feel about everything. Good idea. Think about exactly. That. So you have some homework. Rachel mandated homework. <laughs> I like that idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. So even during the week, if you guys want to go through with them to make sure they have that stuff answered, we can, we can talk about it at the beginning of the class. That would be excellent. If you guys, your fellow mentors can, mentees can kind of go through with your students, that would be great because then we can start right into answering those questions. Okay. So we want to give you the textbook definition of financial literacy before we go. You know, all of this was a lead into the program. Hope you guys understood and like it. Um, financial literacy, literacy is a possession of the set of skills and knowledge that allows an individual to make informant, informed and effective decisions with all of their financial resources. The goal is to ensure that you change the way you think about money by allowing money to assist you in achieving your life goals and choosing the way that you choose to live. So that being said, part B of your homework will be to take a few moments to write down what your life goals are. All right. And they don't have to be money driven. They don't have to be finance driven. Just what your purpose is in life, what you want to do, what makes you happy. And it's our job. It's Larry's job. It's my job. It's Mr. 850's job to kind of put a plan behind that to drive that forward. So you can live your best life. You can do the things that you want and make money. The worst thing is, and we all go through it, is the years pass and we're doing something we don't enjoy. You know, and the pictures that I put up here are things that I enjoy and that I do with what I've allowed finances to do. You know, I do the podcast, Two Black Guys with Good Credit. I travel, meet influential people like Barack Obama. I teach students. In the other picture, I do, I work out. I hang out with my kids. You know, I vacation. I do the things that I like to do that I've allowed um, finance and built on a wealth mindset to support that initiative. This is my collage. So find your purpose. Yes, that's me with Barack Obama. So find your purpose um, and kind of put it together and let's build a plan and let's move forward. All right? Everybody's good. Any questions? Everybody enjoyed it? Can I get some thumbs up? If there's a thumbs down, please tell me why your thumb is down. Constructive <laughs> criticism is always just important as, as, as compliments. I see lots of thumbs up, Sean. Yeah, we got some thumbs up. Lots of them. Okay. See them, but I, I believe that Karina said that that's a whole life lived. Yes, it is, Karina. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> He's got more to live. Oh, definitely. <laughs> okay, so we're good. You guys have your homework, um, and we're going to get right into the homework in the next class, all right? And we'll be back, same Zoom next week, yeah. same time. So the next day. And just just to say one thing about the homework, it's very important that you do the homework because this is going to put you in the mindset of thinking about what your plan is, what your goals are. You know, if you don't do the homework, then you're not really helping yourself. And it makes you think in ways you probably haven't thought before. And, you know, you don't have to be in solitary and do it. You can speak with your parents through it or whatever person that you need to, to help you figure out, you know, what you're good at, what you do well. Because sometimes, you know, what you think you do well, other people will be like, no, you're really good at this. You're really good at that. So, you know, I know I can tell Rachel would be a good resource. Nigel will be a good resource to kind of figure out what you want to do and um, some things that you want to answer so we can so we can really personalize this program for you guys.
All right. Asking about the homework. So we'll be homeworks due next week, Friday, for the next session. Exactly. I think well, thank you guys so much. And I look forward to seeing you guys next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.